So I just got back from Chicago. It's me, Cindy. It was my first flight since, well, you know. I haven't been on a plane in two years, but I had been to the airport a couple of weeks before. We went to drop off a friend, and it was like stepping into a movie shot pre-pandemic when everything just looked normal, which in itself was weird. No masks, plenty of hugging, hello and goodbye. So I was kind of curious about how it was going to be to enter the building, get on a plane, spend a couple of hours side by side with a bunch of strangers wearing a mask. Was it weird? Yeah. Would I go again? (laughs) Yeah. The biggest challenge, of course, is the masks. You have to wear them like FAA rules, like federal law have to wear them from the time you step into the airport till you land and leave that airport. That's a lot of time to have most of your face covered. But everyone else is sucking it up as well, so at least nobody's really whining about it because you're all in the same boat. Of course, not everybody's on board to cooperate, but given that the only choice anti-maskers have is to stay home, they try to skirt the requirement by barely wearing their mask. You know what I mean? I don't think they get away with it for too long because I only saw two people out of the hundreds who seem to be wearing them purely under protest. You can tell because it's hanging loosely closer to a large chin guard than something intent on covering their mouth and nose. So I go to the gate to wait for my flight. We're all sitting three, four or more seats apart. And this guy wanders over, parking in a seat two away from a nervous looking woman who immediately got up and moved. As soon as I notice that his mask is barely grazing his upper lip, I move away as well. Plus, he was one of those loudmouth guys who's just looking for an audience to share every detail of his flight or his job or how much information he has mastered over the course of his gas bag lifetime. I don't mean to sound judgmental, but people like that really get on my nerves. I used to get trapped by the likes of that kind of person all too often, but I've gotten very good at sidestepping the trap. Not so the guy a couple seats away from me who gets reeled in right away as a captive audience until the flight boards. Poor thing. Hope he finds a path to escaping someday. Not only do the airport announcements remind you of the mask law constantly, But when you get on the plane, the flight crew picks up the slack. After they've run through the safety protocol, they have to add, after the recording plays, that if the oxygen masks drop down, you should take off your face mask before attaching the oxygen mask by placing the mask over your face and pulling the elastic straps, blah, 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 blah. And then to make sure you understand that if you're going to eat or drink anything, you can only lift or remove your mask for the moment that you are actually taking that sip or that bite. Okay, okay, I get it. And then they come through and ask if you'd like something to drink. Really? So when we had a stopover in Philadelphia, I pushed myself past people to get off the plane so I could have enough time to buy a Philly cheesesteak before the next flight. It was from the time I booked the flight, as big a highlight of the trip as my plan to have a Chicago hot dog food. You know, I love it. Anyway, so the plan was get off the plane, get a cheesesteak, get on the next plane, fly to Chicago. So I get off the plane, and I have to run to catch a shuttle bus to take me from Terminal F to Terminal C for my next flight, and I get to C, and I run in, and I scout out the food options, and I barrel up to the counter with a guy who is handing a bag of delicious-smelling cheesesteak goodness to a customer, turns to me and says, Sorry, we're closed. What? So I make sad eyes, knowing a sad mouth would be a waste, hidden behind, well, you know, my mask. And I whine, oh, please, just one cheesesteak sandwich? And whether it wasn't that big a deal, or my sad eyes were Oscar-worthy, or there's a tip cup on the counter, he shrugs and says, okay, and puts in my order. 
When the order gets handed over, I wisely grab a ton of napkins and I tip him a dollar for his kindness and I go and I sit down to eat. I unwrap the sandwich at one end. I lift my mask. I take a bite. Oh my God, it was delicious. I place my mask back down and then I thought, this is a miserable way to try to enjoy this taste treat. So I wrap it all back up, and I layer a stack of napkins underneath it to protect my backpack as best I can. And I fly back to New York with most of a Philly cheesesteak to eat when I wouldn't have to juggle the mask thing. Now, I know I am painting this like, oh, this is all so annoying. But the truth is, as soon as the first flight took off, I remembered how much I love to fly. I mean, I am crazy about watching out the window as the world below gets smaller and more distant, and you get this sense of how really enormous the world is. I mean, if I can see half of Long Island in one glance, imagine what it would be like to look at Earth from space. I know we've all seen photos, but imagine seeing it with your own eyes. I think the first time I really had that bird's eye view that reduced everything to ant-sized, I was a pretty little kid. And we were at the top of the Empire State Building. It must have been more open than it is now because I remember looking over the edge and seeing tiny little dots that were cars and even teenier specks that were the people on the streets. And it was amazing. So when a plane takes off and I watch the roads shrink and the island take shape and the strip of Fire Island, I tell you, it takes my breath away. And then, and then, if there are clouds, that is thrilling, plunging into the clouds and then being above them. From that position, they're all mostly the big meringue-looking, puffy, cumulus clouds. I take a million pictures through the window. Some of those photos are like impressionist art. And even though I'm taking them through a window, those photos are spectacular. If I could figure out how to share them with you, I would, because they are just gorgeous. Anyway, so I, I love flying. I love the view. I love the thrill of going somewhere. And I love that I can get to wherever it is in a fraction of the time it would take to drive. Goes along with my being impatient, I guess. But I know not everybody loves it, and some people actually hate it. It can trigger a boatload of anxiety, which teeters on the verge of panic. I think the three people in front of me had a little of that, because they all got in their seats, buckled up, and they pulled out the flyer on safety procedures, and they poured over it like it was the best thing they'd ever read. I think they may have been a little nervous, or maybe just the kind of people who like to be prepared, or the kind of people who like to know everything in case they find themselves in a position to be able to impress strangers with their great grasp of knowledge. I had a bad flight once. Not even something actually going wrong, but the plane took off from LaGuardia, which, if you don't know, is an airport right on the water. And rather than climbing, as planes generally do, it kind of lifted, but not so far that you couldn't just see the water right there under us, and everybody seemed to collectively be holding their breath and squeezing the life out of the armrests, and the flight attendants stayed buckled in, and the pilot didn't make any announcements until he came on to tell us that we would be landing over at JFK, which again, if you don't know New York airports, is about a 30-minute car ride south of LaGuardia. We landed without fanfare, but the stress of having that stretch of time where it felt like something was terribly wrong, but nobody was saying so was too much for a large portion of the passengers who got off while vowing never to fly again. And we just got on the next flight to Chicago and hoped for the best. I mean, you know, friends and hot dogs were waiting. But it left me with a lingering concern, a, a lack of confidence, a new sense of sweaty palms for a while. I continued to fly because, like I said, flying sure cuts the time to get anywhere. But I definitely had to distract myself with books and headphones. And after a few trips, 
Fortunately, the anxiety faded away. I don't discount the fear of flying for those who have it. Did you know there are a ton of websites with all sorts of tips and tricks to overcome that anxiety? One of them goes through explaining each step and accompanying noise of the flight from takeoff till arriving at the gate. The two that I found the most valuable are when the engine booster shuts off, that's when the plane hits cruising altitude, which for the undoctrinated makes it sound like suddenly the plane has lost power. It hasn't. It's that the really loud engine booster has stopped because it's done its job. And the other weird scary sound is that clunk as the wheels are either being pulled up or let out. It's also helpful to know the louder the noise and harder the jolt when the wheels hit the runway on landing, apparently the happier the pilots are knowing that solid contact has been made and knowing that the brakes have to be hit hard to bring that enormous hunk of steel to a full stop. So yeah, don't have your bag on your lap unless you're holding on tight because that sucker can take off on its own flight. More fun facts to know and share, like that guy at the airport with the mask down around his chin. Only it's just me, Cindy, filling in on getting back to flying or getting past being too afraid to fly. You can hear more of my sage wisdom or random thoughts if you follow or subscribe to the It's Me, Cindy podcast, where it's just me working to make life a little better and a little more fun. Thanks for listening.